From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A person recovering from stroke will rely on the care of multiple health professionals, including two which we have represented today. With me in the HealthLink on Air studio are nurse Josh Onion and occupational therapist Jennifer Speaker. They're both part of the stroke team at Upstate University Hospital, and I thank you both for being here. Thank you. Now, you focus on what you call post-acute care, so we're going to talk about after the patient has been taken care of in the emergency room, I don't, hours later, basically? Yeah. When, when do you come into the picture? So my role, I'm the stroke program coordinator at Upstate. I'm a stroke nurse, and I've been uh, with stroke patients for about 10 years now. So I've really seen a lot change in stroke care, and this is really an exciting time with stroke. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people are having strokes in our community, but we want to make sure we're staying on top of the best way to treat them. And like you said, Amber, post-acute stroke treatment is the new highlight with stroke care. So what happens after you leave the hospital? Uh, how are you different and how are we going to help you uh, outside of our walls? So obviously, we need to make sure patients are aware of what a stroke looks like. We want to make sure they come into the hospital if they recognize stroke, if they're having that. And the acronym for that is to think fast. So any facial droop, arm weakness, speech trouble, it's time to call 911. So FAST is an acronym to remember how to recognize a stroke. Uh, you want to come into a stroke center and get treated as fast as you can. Uh, the quicker and, you get and that, in... Let me just interrupt. That's important for young adults all the way up, right? Oh, yes. So. Yep. We uh, there's uh, Stroke doesn't discriminate by age, sex, or race. It happens to a lot of us. It happened, could happen to any of us at any point, uh, sleeping or awake. It does, just happens all the time. And I've talked to a lot of stroke survivors who are healthy, were healthy, had nothing seemingly wrong with them before they had a stroke, so can affect. Sure. Um, there, there's a lot of things that we don't, uh, when we look in the mirror or look at our cholesterol or blood pressure, they might be completely normal, but there might be something hiding in there that's going to cause a stroke. And we're finding out a lot of patients have, um, you know, atrial fibrillation where their heart beats a little bit differently occasionally. And that one irregular heartbeat could be enough just to send a clot or thrombus up to someone's head and cause a stroke. So it could only take one, one time of that heart beating, one wrong beat could really cause this problem. But uh, recognition of what a stroke looks like and quick treatment uh, is essential to your recovery, but we're going to talk about um, beyond that emergency room care, what that looks like, you know, the day after you have a stroke and what to expect and the normal gambit of stroke care after that first 24 hours, I'd say. So we're talking about a patient who sort of wakes up in the neuro ICU on the ninth floor um, after having a stroke the night or day before. What What is that like for them? Both of you talk to patients in that setting, right? Yeah. When you say wake up, I think that's a good way to put it because we find talking to patients that a lot of them don't recall that first day. It's so much for them and the brain does a nice job at processing out those scary things. So waking up on the next day is a good way to put it because they're now uh, left with this this stroke that has changed their life and, and really recognizing how their life will be different is the first step in recovery. So uh, I, I tell patients it's like your brain is like an electrical circuit pan uh, panel. So if you get a circuit, a surge, uh, the panel gets disrupted like a stroke, and it is never really the same after. You can fix it pretty good. You can rewire it, but there's always going to be something a little off, and understanding where that miswiring is is kind of where our therapies come in and where our medical providers post-stroke kind of, kind of play a big role in that. All right, and Jennifer, when do you, uh, as occupational therapy, when does that become something that a patient has? So 
Once the patient's deemed medically stable, that's when the orders come in from the doctors and they get all hands on deck. They want OT there, PT, and speech. So OT, occupational therapy, PT, physical Physical. therapy, and then speech therapy. Correct. Um, So like Josh said, many different things can happen. There can be weakness on one side of the body. There can be difficulty swallowing, difficulty speaking. There's a cognitive component where they might not understand everything that's being spoken to them. Sometimes we have to do a lot of education amongst each other to say they're saying yes, yes, yes to everything, but they really don't understand what you're saying. So as a team, we can collaborate to you know, make sure that everybody's aware that we need to find a different alternative to communicating with them and make sure that the family's being educated, that they might not necessarily be agreeing to something, but that they don't understand. Um, So once that takes place, everyone comes in and we do our assessments and we look from head to toe. We want to see exactly what's going on with the person. And we can establish goals in the immediate time um, to see, you know, is sitting at the edge of the bed where they're at or can they walk and now we just need to figure out how safe it is. People are being discharged pretty quickly now from the hospital. So the first goal is safety and patient family education to make sure everybody's comfortable and feels aware of what they're going home with. Uh, From that point, the doctors typically will either refer them to inpatient rehab or sometimes they can come directly to outpatient. So we have teams throughout the community that can assist any patient who's had a stroke. I've heard um, that stroke is the leading cause of adult disability. Is that true? And, well, yes, and it is happening in younger people more and more. We have seen some children who have even had some strokes. So, like Josh said, it's not an age-specific thing. This isn't an old person disease. And so there's some amount of a deficit that may be with a person um, forever after a stroke. But then there's some things that maybe would be improved upon, right? Correct. Um, And depending on the severity, we try to be as upfront and as honest as we can with the patient. We typically try to tell people that you're not going to be 100%, but you can get as close to that as you can with the help of therapy. And any time that we feel like a referral is required within the community, we can refer to vision specialists or physiatrists, um, people who help with tone management. There's different avenues that we can help but that's really our role is to help them get the best and the most care that they need to recover. All right you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith and I'm talking with occupational therapist Jennifer Speaker and nurse Josh Onion. They're both part of the stroke team here at Upstate and we're talking about post-acute care, um, the care that patients receive as as they're recovering from a stroke in the hospital. Um, Can we talk about the role of the patient's loved ones in their recovery? Do you involve family members or partners in the recovery? I think that um, something to consider, I know a lot of people get stubborn and want to get out of the hospital, and we are moving patients out of the hospital pretty quickly after a stroke. Normal length of stay is about five days. That's not very long to figure out your medications, your limitations, where you're going to. And to have that that partner or loved one on board from day one to understand that this is not just the patient, it's now going to be a pod, they need a support system. So getting them together for education and therapies and movements and all that thing from right from the beginning is really key. We see, um, I, I tell patients that they won't, 90 days, three months after their stroke is really where they'll plateau. 
uh, generally with their recovery. So after 90 days is they can get the best out of themselves that they can. So they can't see what they on, what they see on day one uh, might not be the same that they see in a week from now to just be patient with themselves and work with each other on that and that team approach. But around 90 days is sort of um, what they, they will probably be left with. I, I, that's tough to say. We have seen changes. I think things just, um, the way therapy really wants to look at is we want to help them adapt and adjust. So if their memory's not improving, then we try to build strategies. Um, I think patients get fearful when they hear a timeline like, well, I'm on day 60. I only have 30 days left. So we try to just say one day at a time. You have to think back where you started this whole journey. Um, this wasn't a planned event by any means. So when we can kind of take them day by day and show them the slow progress, their motivation continues. Now, as I understand it, there's two sort of main types of stroke, those caused by a clot that impedes blood flow and those caused when a vessel ruptures. Do you see a difference in the types of uh, deficits depending on the stroke, the type of stroke the person had or... Yes, and I, I think it's more a matter, again, from therapy point of view, we look at more where the deficit occurred within the brain. If it's the back oh, the of the location. brain, there's okay. going to be vision deficits, and left side of the brain typically impairs the speech. So those are the things that we can kind of keep an eye on. So regardless of the type, it's where it affected the brain. Is So whether it's a blockage or a bleeding type of stroke, it's whatever brain tissue has been damaged in the process is what the therapies focus on. And it seems like it's very individualized that some patients might have trouble, like you said, with vision or uh, mobility maybe. Are there things um, that, uh, that you look for in all patients, uh, such as depression after a stroke? Um, are there things like that that, that, uh, you have, that you deal with? Yeah, the patients, uh, those who can express those feelings, um, I think it's pretty easy to happen that they get depressed, they get anxious, like is this really the way it's going to be forever? Um, the younger people who weren't planning on this, they're still working, so there's a financial aspect to them. So when they start feeling those emotions, we can, again, use outside referrals beyond therapy and get rehabilitation from psychology to kind of deal with those coping mechanisms and trying to learn, again, just adjustment. We are offering support groups in the community as well, and our therapists typically run those, so that's another outlet to kind of assess whether it's truly depression or is it just frustration. Right, or situational based on, right. Well, it sounds like both of you have jobs that have a potential to be very gratifying because you're working closely with patients and you can see the progress you know, over time. I wanted to ask you about the educational pathways. Um, Josh, with nursing, how did you end up focusing in, in stroke care and what was involved in getting to where you are? So for myself, um, I've always been fascinated with what occurs in the brain to make you think and be who you are. Um, since I was you know, done with school, I've always kind of focused my career on brain injury and stroke. So the past I don't know, 15 years of my life, I've really been dealing with head injuries and things like that. So the nursing component was a nice add-on to what I liked about brain care, if you will. So to get a nursing degree, um, it's really, you can do anything with nursing nowadays. So it's really uh, exciting. And the role that I have now lets me look at 
stroke patients as a population versus individuals. So what is our hospital doing with our therapy department to better patients as a whole? You know, that kind of thing. So it's really a, a cool way to get into um, management of stroke patients and stroke care in a hospital level as well as a region because what we do here really affects our our north country friends and people in the southern tier because those patients are coming here as well so we're making a big impact on a lot of patients across a lot of the state and that really couldn't be done without my i guess passion for head care and what i've done with nursing so i think that other people in in neuroland as we call it have a similar feeling and flavor for what happens in the brain and the love for the brain so that's my little blip on where I got here. Jennifer, how did you become an occupational therapist? How did you choose that? Uh, I've always been fascinated with helping people. Um, and it's such a devastating disease when someone has a stroke and to see someone completely independent go to completely dependent and to be a part of that process to watch them gain these little individual milestones back. It, that's really what I've always been driven by, um, to see someone be able to brush their own teeth again or put their own clothes on. There's such simple tasks that we take for granted every single day. And when they can't do it, it just feels so defeating. And you've never had to ask your own family, can you help me put my socks on? Right. And so right. when we can teach them to do that, it's, it's I was going to say there's a, a lot of teaching aspect to your role, it seems like. There is. For the patient and the family. So. Correct. And one of the biggest goals that people have lately, uh, well, not lately, but everybody wants to drive again. And it's kind of one of those hidden components of Mm -hmm. cognition that we've been missing or that we're trying to really delve into a little bit further. Because a lot of patients who are leaving and they can walk independently, we're missing sometimes that cognitive component. So we're really trying to make sure that those patients get into occupational therapy and speech pathology to make sure that we can really dissect and make sure that they're safe to drive. So some of those cognitive issues might not be obvious soon afterward, right? Correct. Sometimes people can walk out the door of our facility but not know where they're walking. Sometimes they can try to cross the street and not realize that the cars are coming and they should stop and wait. So we look at a lot of different components when we're looking at the cognition, you know, the reaction speed, if they can process multiple pieces of information all at the same time. It's, it's a big cognitive task driving it in addition to the physical. I think people associate physical and motor function with a problem with stroke. I can't move my left arm now or I can't move my left leg. I can't walk. But sensation and cognition are huge parts. So if you can move your arm but you can't feel your fingertips, you can still burn your hand. And, and, and to understand that that's a limitation you might not have that while you're in the hospital because you're not cooking anything. You don't, you're not in your own environment. So when patients get home, uh, they realize that there are things that we didn't notice in the hospital, um, sensory, physical, or cognitive being the big one, that they want to follow up and understand what's going on. So uh, generally after someone's discharged, they have a, uh, an appointment with their primary care provider within a week. And that, that person is supposed to coordinate and understand that the patient had a stroke and that they have the therapies that they need and to talk about that with the primary care provider uh, to make sure all of the pieces are in place because the patients sort of, we don't want them to get lost in a system of healthcare that's it's sure. kind of tough to navigate now. So, um, But to, to get that primary care to be the driver and say, you, did you get your physical therapy? Did you notice anything at home? Do you feel safe at home? And what can I do to help? That's a key component of this. Uh, after that PCP, they'll see our 
their neurologist or stroke neurologist in our clinic. And the, the clinic follow-up will occur a little bit later than the primary visit. And they'll, they'll ask those questions as well. How are you going with therapy? Uh, do you, is there anything else you need? And that's usually at 60 to 90 days after their discharge is where they see the neurologist again. So a, a good time gap where they can understand, the patients can understand themselves, what they have for limitations and what they still need. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I want to thank you for your perspective. My guests have been nurse Josh Onion and occupational therapist Jennifer Speaker, both of whom specialize in the care of patients who've had a stroke. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.